So I'd like to start by getting you, you to think about two different situations. Firstly, have you ever been asked by someone at work or maybe in your family to go and find out something and then bring that message back, maybe even with the words, don't come back without an answer, still ringing in your ears? So that's the first situation. Have you ever had that? Or secondly, a completely different situation. When you've been prepared and been preparing so well to take someone a message, everything has been thought out, and you know that bringing that message will bring such joy. I think each of these two situations would elicit such different emotions in you. Well, here in our passage this morning, we have these two types of messengers. In fact, I think there are three types of messengers in the passage, but we'll come to the last type at the end. The passage today, as Richard just pointed out, is all about John the Baptist and, of course, about Jesus. And it's such a familiar story to many of us. But the danger of familiarity is that we just scoot over these passages, saying to ourselves, okay, I get it. I already know that John the Baptist isn't Jesus move on. And with the rest of the Bible open to us now, you know, we obviously know that uh, very clearly. But so often with Scripture, it's so good to look deeper and just spend a little time pausing and considering what else we can learn from this. Asking ourselves what God wants to teach us about from this passage today. Remembering Paul's line to his letter to Timothy, where he said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So there are two sections in our reading today, and I'm going to consider the second first, starting at verse 19. And if you'd like to follow along with me in the Bibles, in the Pew Bibles, that's on page uh, 1063, or feel free to follow on your phone app. In this part of our reading, we are witnesses to a dialogue between some priests who were sent by the religious elite in Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist who he was, or maybe more accurately, to find out who he wasn't. And this negative assertion lies behind these first three questions. This betrays the discussions that might have happened amongst themselves as they traveled to see John or maybe more likely from the instructions from their bosses back in Jerusalem. They start to ask him who he is. Notice in verse 20, he is really willing to be questioned. He's very open to be questioned. He confessed freely. So they have three hypotheses about him that they want to test, validating which of these ideas about him is true They ask really closed questions before eventually, in verse 22, asking almost in an exasperated way, well, who are you? This reminds me of one time when I was in my 20s. A friend had recommended a really good Scottish restaurant in the Clapham area of London. And it was before the internet existed. So I remember this. I rang 192 
got their number from directories inquiries and rang them. A lady with a beautiful, soft Scottish accent answered. I wanted to make a reservation for that day, which was a Sunday, so I asked her, are you open at lunchtime today? She replied, no, we're not open at lunchtime. I'm not going to try the accent. So I asked, are you open this evening? No, we're not open this evening. Okay, are you open in the week? No, we're not open in the week, she said. Are you open next weekend? She replied, no, we're not open next weekend. At this point, I got a dawning realization and asked, are you open at all? No, she said, we have closed down. <laughs> so you have to be very careful about how you ask questions. This Scottish lady, lady clearly and accurately answered the questions that I had been asking her. In our passage, John 2 answered clearly and freely their first three questions. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. All their theories dashed to pieces. The Jewish people of the time were waiting for the Messiah to come, actually, as they are still to this day. At that point in history, though it seemed a perfect time for him to come, to free Israel from the oppression, the oppression caused by the occupation of the Roman Empire. And many interpreted the passages from their Old Testament to be promises of a military rescuer who would kick out the Romans and re-establish Israel. So all possible messiahs needed to be investigated. But John said, no. Next, he could have been Elijah, now, according to the writers of two kings, Elijah didn't die, but was taken up into heaven and was not seen again. Also, there was a prophecy in Malachi 4 that Elijah would come back again before the Messiah's coming. But John says no. However, this is complex because later on, Jesus in Matthew 11 and 17 aligns John with Elijah John was Jesus' cousin, and at this time of year, we, as we remember the nativity story, thinking about the passage when John's dad, Zechariah, was visited by angels to give him the good news that he and his aged wife, Elizabeth, would have a son. At that point, the angels said about John and his relationship with Jesus, saying that John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's in Luke 1. I think John said no because his purpose was to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And he was so focused on this and so passionate about this that any connection with Elijah was really not of much interest to him. This shows great humility in John. We see how humble he is in verse 27 of our passage when he says of Jesus... He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John is so focused and passionate about the coming of Jesus, right from even before he was born. Another nativity story we remember is when Mary and Elizabeth visited each other a little later, when they're both pregnant with Jesus and John. 
and we're told that John leapt in Elizabeth's womb when Mary came in. So, for these priests, two theories bite the dust. He's not the Messiah or Elijah. It's a bit like the last round of the BBC quiz show, Pointless. So these priests then are then down to their last possible chance. Are you the prophet? Notice the word the. They are not saying, are you a prophet, but the prophet. This phrase for Jews would have immediately reminded them of their most important prophet, who gave them the law, and in fact, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the set of books that the Jewish people to this day call the Torah. Now, if you are Hungarian in the uh, congregation, you will know immediately if I gave those book names in their Hungarian name, because in Hungary, they actually call them Moses I, Moses II, Moses III, and Moses IV, and Moses V. So, are you the prophet could have only meant, are you Moses? There were some in Palestine that believed that Moses would be the foreteller of the coming of the promised Messiah. These ideas are taken from one verse from Deuteronomy 16. Thinking John is Moses is much more of a stretch for these priests. Um, and, and so this is their last hypothesis. But John again says, no. The priests now almost desperately ask, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. They must have an answer to take back to Jerusalem. And so they allow John to say his purpose now, at this point, in his own words. And at last he replies, quoting from, Elijah, from um, Isaiah 40, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. They go on to question him about why, if he isn't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the Messiah, nor Moses, why does he baptize people? And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who, do, who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Again, John, in his reply, doesn't talk about himself. He would much rather talk about Jesus who they don't know yet. In Mark's gospel, he said, when baptizing people, comparing himself with Jesus, saying, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's mission was all about bringing the message that Christ was coming to ready the people of Christ for the coming of Jesus through repentance and baptism. So far in our passage, we've seen two types of messengers. The priests from Jerusalem who were desperately in need to take a message back to the temple authorities, who had their own agenda. Which one of these are you? The Messiah, Elijah, or Moses? And now we have John, who had such an important job to ready the people for Jesus. And John, who had known about this task for all his life, and this was his purpose of his life, one he had trained for and thought about and prayed for. John's mission is summed up in actually those first three verses that Rodney read out that we heard at the start of our reading. And it's these verses I want to return to now. 
verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, the light being Jesus. So that through him, Jesus, all might believe. He, John himself, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. In these short verses, we have a really succinct description of not only John's mission, but also, I think, a model for each and every Christian, each of our callings and our purposes in life. Let's look briefly at these, this beautiful summary. There are three parts of it. Firstly, that John is sent by God. Indeed, as we remember from the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, all believers are sent by God. We are sent by him to be part of his amazing rescue plan for humankind. Secondly, why was John sent? He was sent to testify, to witness, to be a witness about Jesus. For us, this is what we too are sent to do in all things we do, to have that desire to just share with people that joy that, of who Jesus is and what he has done for each one of us in our lives. As we looked at last week, as Peter starts his second letter, uh, where he talks about who he addresses his letter to, he says, we have received a faith that is so precious. How can this faith that changes everything in our lives not be something that affects everything we do and say. The testimony of how we live our lives is a testimony of God's amazing gift of his love in our lives. Thirdly, and because of this, John has a heartfelt desire for all people to believe in Jesus. This is what drives him, looking forward to the coming of Jesus into others' lives, longing for people to repent and come to Jesus to be saved. And this too should be our heart's desire. If we think knowing Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to us, how can we possibly not want this joy for everyone? For all the people we come in contact with every day, in the village, in our houses, at work, at school, at the other end of a telephone, or the receivers of our emails, or at this time of year, our Christmas cards, or those we read about or see on the news. So, we are this third type of messenger, sent by God when we were saved to witness the love of God, his amazing love that saved us and gave us a purpose and true joy. Remember that we t remembering also that we too, like John, are not worthy of even untying Jesus' shoes or sandals. <laughs> there is nothing that we have done to deserve being part of God's plan, and yet that just makes it even more precious when he calls us to be part. He chooses to include us. Through our weaknesses, he is made strong. However broken or messed up we are, he calls us to be part of this mission part of showing his love for each and every one. Now, I thought to be a bit different, to bring this home, we do a little exercise which lets us focus on what we might have heard from the scripture today. And so in your, uh, 
In your notice sheet, you have a, a little piece of paper, which is the structure of what I just talked about. But on the other side, there is a little template. And what I've done is just used the theme of the verses 6 to 8 to just take out the words about John and leave gaps to be able to put in this statement as a statement about your life, about my life. Um, there are um, some of these words, are, uh, gaps are longer, some are shorter. Some of them, are, many of them are about filling in your gender, so filling with he or she. Um, so if we just have a, I've got done a little example just to help. If we bring that up, please. So in this example, you see this is about um, a fictional woman called Jane. So if we just fill it in saying, you know, there was a woman sent by God called Jane. She or he came as a witness to testify concerning Jesus. Her desire was that in all that she'd come in contact with that they might believe, especially on her heart at this time, was her friend Mary. So it gives you an opportunity to think about who is on your heart who you would love to know more about Jesus. She herself was not the light, far from it. And that's recognizing that in our own hearts, and yet God chooses us. She came only as a witness to God's love in her life. So I'm going to ask Stephen to come up and uh, just play some gentle music while we fill in these gaps for ourselves and spend some time in prayer, thinking about how God wants to use us wherever he's placed us. Thank you.